So we are um, concluding this series this morning, titled The Gospel of Mark, through the last several weeks. We've been um, just working our way, studying our way through the gospel, and um, within the Bible we have four different versions of Jesus' life, right, at the very beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and these are all just, again, the gospel is literally just the good news of Jesus, and it's the story of his life. And each, each gospel is written from a little different perspective. Um, we see, again, hold the Holy Spirit's um, you know, touch on each one, and yet we still see the different uh, human attributes of their writing and of their personalities. Uh, Mark is, is a unique gospel, and it is the shortest one out of the four. Um, he, he gives us a, a brief but powerful description of Jesus' life. Also, Mark uh, was not one of the disciples. He was a second generation um, uh, from, the, from those first-generation first disciples. Um, most scholars believe he was a very close associate and friend of, of the Apostle Peter. And so he experienced the things of Jesus firsthand, but he was not one of the 12 disciples. Like I said, he writes a very brief but powerful version of Jesus' life. Uh, he tends to focus more on what Jesus did more than, than on how some of the other gospel writers focus more on what Jesus says. It was written for a Gentile audience um, in Rome, and so he does explain some of the Jewish customs um, differently than some of the other gospel writers. And the interesting thing about during this time that Mark wrote to an audience right in Rome um, that was under pretty heavy persecution by King Nero. And one of the things about King Nero was he believed himself to be God, and he asked for everybody there to worship him and and live accordingly to that fact. Which is, as we see though, that, that there's a problem then with Jesus because Jesus claims to be the eternal king. And if we claim allegiance to Jesus as the Messiah, then that then implies to Nero that, well, he doesn't have the authority that he wants. And that's where we see, again, from the very first words of the Gospel of Mark, um, that we see this as, and this is why Mark declares very clearly from the very first verse, right, that Jesus is the Messiah and that he declares he is the ultimate authority. And we see that again in Mark 1.1. 1, 1. This has been the theme verse of, of this series. In Mark 1.1 1, 1, where it says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And in this clear, emphatic statement in the very first verse, right, it declares that Jesus is the, the Messiah, all of the prophecies, all of the, the Old Testament scriptures, everything that was written, uh, it fulfills who Jesus was. Right? It shows us that. And as the Son of God, he is the ultimate authority, which, again, caused some issues for those right, in, in this audience. As they declared this to be true, they were bringing on persecution in their lives. Right? But they also knew that it was very worth it, right? because Jesus was the Messiah, right? and, and he is all-powerful, and he is the eternal king. And again, by making this declaration, they were saying, God is the ultimate authority in my life. And that has been kind of our, our theme as we've walked through the gospel and seen these different areas of authority and, and how people have interacted with Jesus and what Jesus taught and the challenges that he gave them, he was constantly seeking this same question. This is the thread that runs through the entire gospel, is this question of who or what do you give authority to in your life? Right, and, and this is a question that we, just like the original audience of the gospel, must answer. Right, we must, we must answer who or what do you give authority to? Because the reality is, you can give authority to just about anything in your life. 
Right? In fact, our world tells us to give authority to most everything but God. Right? And yet we see, as Mark declares in the very first verse, right, that, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and therefore deserves right, all of our recognition, our worship, as well as the ultimate authority of our life. We've seen this theme again run through all of the stories, the miracles, the healings, the teachings, the parables, and even the arguments that are recorded in this gospel. Jesus, um, again, we see Jesus submit to a few different authorities in order to accomplish his mission. And then that mission ended up on the cross. Right, something that we commemorate on Good Friday, and you know, a lot of times we wonder, why do we call it Good Friday? I mean, that's the day Jesus died. Right? It's, it's, a, it's a somber day, right? a day full of, of grief, even, especially by his disciples and those close to him. But, yeah, but Friday is good because of Sunday. Right? Because if he didn't die, he couldn't rise. Right? And that's why Friday is good. And that's what we're here to celebrate today. Right? The, um, again, this, this, the most incredible miracle in all of history right, is the resurrection. So we're going to look at, at Mark's uh, just version of, of that, that first Easter morning. So we're going to look, start today in Mark chapter 16. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 16. If you're with us in person, don't have your own Bible. There are Bibles provided for you in the seats you're welcome to use. And you'll notice the page numbers included there and where you can find this passage in those Bibles. If you're with us online, you can grab your Bible and follow along as well. Or you can just listen as I read it. But we're going to start in Mark chapter 16 starting at verse 1, where it says, Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robes sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Then they briefly reported all this to Peter and his companions. And afterward, Jesus himself sent them out from east to west uh, with the sacred and unfailing message of salvation that gives eternal life. Amen. Now, as we read this, we see, we notice, even in the text, that there are two different endings to Mark. And we can see that's, that's, you know, noted in your Bible. And we see, again, as we look back to the ancient manuscripts, some of them have just that one verse ending. There's other ones that, that include this longer ending that we're going to look at here um, in a little bit. But as we do that, we, we see and understand that, that, um, that the gospel ends with the biggest victory. Right? With, in fact, the, one of the, the only miracles that all four gospels talk about, right, and all record, is the resurrection. The other one is the feeding of the 5,000, by the way. But those are the only two, right, that all four of them include. 
Okay, as we look at that and we see here what happens in this text, and even as we think about um, who or what authority to give in your life, we, we see Jesus here in this moment with the resurrection that Jesus proves his divine authority over sin and death through the resurrection. Yeah, now up to this point, Jesus even talked about it. We've seen him kind of foreshadow it in the gospel, and we've seen how this happened. Now this is where Jesus proves his authority. Right? And be, because through the resurrection, he establishes his ultimate authority, all of his power, right? That nothing can stop him, not even death. Right? He proves his authority. You know, the reality is anybody can talk a big game. Right, but not everybody can prove it. In fact, if we, we look at even lots of different world religions, different you know, religious leaders throughout history, all of them have talked a big game. Right, but Jesus is the only one that proved it. You know, we, when you think about this idea, this concept, we, we realize right, there are so many times in life when we're wondering, we're like, is that really true? I wonder if they could prove that. Right? I mean, even think about you know, the court of law, how we have to, it has to be proved beyond a reasonable doubt. You know, all the way down to our friendly competitions. You know, sometimes we have to prove it. You know, when we lived in Boise, the boys were smaller. We had a basketball court in our backyard. And we would go out there and we would play pig all the time. Right, and that was really, it was fun, like, and some of, most of you, if you know my boys, you know that, that we're all competitive. Right, and so we had a house rule when it came to playing pig. Is that when you got, in order to get out, you couldn't just get the, the last letter and be, be, you know, out of the game. For the last letter, you had to prove it. Right? You had a second chance, and, and we would always give that right to prove it, to get you out. Like our house rule was, if once you got that last letter, you got to choose. Okay? You could either get a second chance right, to make that shot, or you could make the other person prove it. Right? And so we had to do it. Now, again, there were times when I mean, we were right on the edge of elimination, but yet they couldn't prove it. Right? And, and as we sit back, right, so then there you're still in the game, right? There's still a chance. You're telling me there's a chance, right? And we hang on. Okay, as we look at this and we see again the power of the resurrection, the claims that Jesus made, Jesus didn't just say it. He proved it. He proved it by the resurrection. The resurrection was not done by accident. It was not a lucky win. It was God's plan all along to save all of us from sin and death. And through that, he now gives us eternal life. Right? And as we see this, this incredible miracle of the resurrection, as, as Jesus proves his authority, right, by his, not just through his death, but through his resurrection, we see these women's initial reaction when they, when they stumble upon what's really happened. Okay, their initial reaction to Jesus, to this incredible miracle, was one of shock. Right? They didn't believe it at first. Right? In fact, it says we see there's some, some paralyzing fear in that. Right? They, they didn't even follow the directions of what they were supposed to do. Right? The angel says, go and tell everybody. And it says, no, they didn't even do that. Because they were in complete shock. And the reality is this can be a very common response to the resurrection. 
right? Even in our own minds, we, we bring up this question of, like, why would God ever want to save me after all that I've done and after how I've treated him and after I pushed him away or even spit in his face? Like, why would God do that for me? Right? We have shock. Like, like why would God do that? It is a very shocking thing to realize that God loves you that much. But he does. He does love you that much. And no matter what you've done in your past, no matter how much you pushed him away, right, God wants you back. God loves you that much. We see in in verse 6, right, that we just read, it says, the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. And we, like these women, need to take the angel's advice. Do not be shocked by the fact that Christ is risen. God knew what, what the price was for our salvation, and he was willing to pay it. Right? Not only did he die, but he conquered death by rising again, exactly like he said he would. Don't be shocked. God is that powerful, and God does love you that much. As we continue on in the story, we see kind of a, the next kind of reaction of Jesus in this moment. We're going to pick up here at uh, Mark 16, verse 9, where it says, After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterwards, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Still later, he appeared to the eleven disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. As we see again, this, this next interaction, right, this, these next reactions of of the, again, of, of the news of the resurrection, okay, we see how Jesus establishes his divine authority by interacting with many people after the resurrection, right? We see here how he, he interacts with, with Mary and the women at the tomb, okay? We see how he interacts with the, the guys on the road to Emmaus, how he shows up to the disciples. In fact, if we go through scriptures, there are, are several different instances, right, of the resurrected Jesus interacting with hundreds of of people. As he does this, we see again now he is now establishing his divine authority. But again, there's all these theories, right, about how why the body wasn't in the tomb, right? And and there's all these different ones swirling right through this because nobody can find the body, nobody know, can explain what's happening outside of what God is saying through all of his followers. Right? And now there's all kinds of theories swirling, and yet it, Jesus, again, shows up to prove that he's alive, right? And he shows up in his resurrected body. Right? There's, I, I want to read you this quote out of a book called One to One on page 51 by Joe White, and this is what he says. He says, the resurrection of Jesus after his torture and crucifixion is the single most important historical factor in all of Christianity. Jesus is the only religious figure in history of mankind to make the claim of deity and subsequently rise from the dead. 
The resurrection alone puts Jesus light years ahead of all other religious figures in history and in a category all his own. Right? Not only was Jesus the only historical religious leader to rise from the dead, but he did it publicly. He did it in front of everyone. Right? Interactions with the resurrected Jesus are recorded in Scripture 15 different times in front of hundreds of different people. And, and yet, we see the disciples give us a very common reaction to this news, even to Jesus' authority. Right? The disciples' initial, initial reaction was one of disbelief. Right? Even for the disciples, they're like, no, that's not true. Right? They reacted just like many do today. Right? No matter what others told them about Jesus, they didn't believe it. They heard the stories, they heard the interactions, right? but yet they still didn't believe it until Jesus himself shows up right, to prove it to them. Once again, Jesus proves it. Right? And again, what does Jesus do when he shows up with the disciples, with those that were closest to him? Right? He shows up again in verse 14, right? and he says, Still later he appeared to the eleven disciples as they were eating together. And, they re- and he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they had refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. Again, Jesus comes just like any good father does, right? Is, and he gives them a stern rebuke when they were out of line. Right? And that's exactly what Jesus does here, right? He goes to them, he's like, guys, are you kidding me? Right? Like, I told you this, I've taught you this, I, I told you this over and over again, all these things, and yet now you have people, even people you know and trust that are telling you this, and you're still not believing them. Right? You can just kind of imagine the resurrected Jesus sitting there kind of shaking his head, right? Are you kidding me? I, am I the only parent that's ever said that to my kids? Are you kidding me? Really? What were you thinking, Right? I mean, Jesus comes to them, right? And, and, and again, he establishes his authority with them. Right? Again, we can identify. If you're a parent, you can identify, right? There are those times when your, your kids push against you, and they come at you, and, and again, there's, again, my kids are pretty strong-willed. Right? And there are times, especially when they were little, they'd come, they'd throw their fit, they'd fight, they'd, whatever it was, and I remember telling them, I just, I'm like, you know what, do what you got to do, but you are going to lose. Right? And, and again, let them throw their fit and be like, all right, are you ready to talk about what we're going to do next? Right? Like, are you done? Because you're going to lose. Right? And this, you, you kind of sense this, right? Like, like Jesus is in front of them and he's like, guys, don't fight it. Right? Just submit to, to the reality of what's happening. Right? Recognize the authority right, that I have shown you right, by resurrecting, by not just dying, but by conquering sin and death. Right? This was a fight that I'm sure the disciples were very happy to lose, right? Because it meant that their faith was not misplaced. And you know, I think that, that really came into, I'm sure, into their, their reaction, into their, their disbelief. Because remember, these disciples, they had left everything to follow Jesus. Right? And in this moment, they're kind of they're like, man, did I make a bad decision 
right? Like I, how much I, I've, I've sacrificed, how much I've changed, how, you know, all these things, like was it worth it, right? And they were, they were struggling with all of that in their own minds and hearts, right? And, and, and yet when Jesus shows up, Right? It meant that their faith had not been misplaced. It meant that all the sacrifices they had made to follow Jesus were actually worth it. Right? It meant that their lives still had purpose. And as they were able to embrace right, this belief, once Jesus shows up in front of them, right, and then they can finally submit again to that ultimate authority. Right? As Jesus continues to establish his divine authority in their lives and all those that would follow him. And then we see the, the, the conclusion of the longer version of the ending of Mark in verses 15 through 20. So going back, uh, again, Mark 16, picking up at verse 15. He says, And then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. And when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. And then we see here that now Jesus has, he's established his authority, right, with them, and now Jesus exercises his authority by giving all believers a mission to accomplish. Right, you notice he says, now that you've, 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 you've submitted your own heart, right, and given me the authority that I deserve, now it is time for you to get to work. Right, as Jesus exercises his authority, Right, before he ascends, what does it say in verse 15? He, he, he tells them, right, and every believer after them, he says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And, and we see again that the followers of Jesus then, right, their reaction, and this is the same reaction that God wants from us today. If we decide to follow Jesus, right, our reaction should be one of obedience. Because once I receive Christ as my Savior, once I, I, I submit my authority to him, right, and say he is my king, right, he is the ultimate authority of my life, now my life is now about living for him and to glorify him, not about myself, right, then God says now it is time for you, again, to follow what I tell you to do. Right? And, and again, it is through obedience that, that our own faith grows. Right? With every decision, with every moment, with every, every life you know, struggle, with, with all of those moments, every choice that I make is when I'm like, no, if God is my authority, then I will follow his direction, right? And I will do what he tells me to do. Right? And what he tells all believers to do is to spread the good news of who he is, of the power of his death, of his resurrection, of what the mission of the Messiah accomplished, right? And that was to save us, to reestablish our relationship back with our creator that was broken by sin and death, right? Again, their reaction, right, as well as every follower after them, it should be to obey Jesus. And we see, again, in verse 20, right, how it says, as the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, 
confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. And God worked through them, and he continues to work through every believer through obedience. And again, we start our journey with him by receiving him as our Savior, inviting him into our life, right? Not just believing that he's real, but yet accepting him into our lives, giving him that authority. And then every day as a follower of Jesus, as I engage in my journey of, of faith and I grow in that and I learn more about who God is and about who I am and, and how life really works God's way and, and as he transformed my heart and my spirit, then I move closer and closer to him. Right? To become holy like he is holy. To be transformed by God's spirit. And yet it all starts though with this one question. And that is, what is your reaction to Jesus' divine authority? Right, that's where it all starts. Again, we can hear the stories, we can read the scriptures, we can come and, and worship together, right? We can, we can do all these kinds of things, but it, it always comes down to this question. Right, who or what is the authority in your life? And what is your reaction to Jesus' authority? How are you going to respond to him? Again, maybe you respond with shock. Maybe you respond with fear. Maybe you respond with disbelief. We've seen that, how common those are, even in the Easter story. Or will you respond with obedience? Again, these, these three verses... Earlier in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 15, they encompass the entire Gospel message. In Mark 15, verses 37 through 39, it says, Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. And we see again, like I said, these verses encompass the entire gospel message. This, this exclamation of this Roman officer, right, sitting back watching all this happen as he's watching Jesus die, right? And when Jesus dies, when he, he gives up his last again, and, and Jesus did not die of, of, of physical reasons on that cross. He died with the weight of our sin, on him, of the world sent on him. And he gave up his spirit, right, to pay that price because the wages of sin is death. And he steps in our place, right, to pay the price for us, to become our ultimate sacrifice so that we can be forgiven. And as he does this, this officer steps back and he observes what's happening, right? And when Jesus dies, like, like it's not just when, like, when any person dies, I mean, this was, like, literally, the, the, the skies darkened, there was earthquakes, there was all kinds of things, like, right, all of creation was changed in that moment. And we also see here in this verse, as it says that this, that the veil in the temple was torn, okay, because this shows, again, the power of Jesus' death, right, and what he had accomplished in that, because God's presence in the first covenant, in the covenant of the law, right? God's presence was in the temple. It was in the Holy of Holies. Okay, it was in the center of the temple. And, and in this room where God's presence was, right, there was this thick veil. And 
And again, that's the veil that gets torn because, and that's so, you know, representative of God's presence because now, because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, because he was our sacrificial lamb, because he stepped in our place, now we see that that veil's torn because now God's presence is no longer confined to the temple. God's presence now lives in the heart of every believer because of the power of the resurrection. Right? Because after this, you know, God pours out the Holy Spirit right, on every believer. Right? And even, that, even the religious leaders saw this happen. Right? And they had these, these same reactions of shock, right? of disbelief, right? of, of, of fear. I mean, the, those were all the reactions of them even. What is happening? This was unprecedented. And yet we see here, even this, this Gentile Roman officer, what was his declaration? This man truly was the son of God. Right? And with that statement, with that statement, he declares and establishes God's ultimate authority. His divine authority. Right? His power over sin and death. And we have to realize that the wages of sin is death. And that is exactly the price that Jesus paid. But Jesus was the perfect sacrifice because he lived a sinless life and therefore could die in our place to pay our sin, sin debt instead of his own. Right, he became the perfect sacrifice. Again, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom because God was willing to pay this high price because of his love for us. Sin broke our relationship with God because we sinned. And, and yet he did everything to restore that relationship. That was the mission of the Messiah. Again, God's presence was in the temple behind the curtain. But once the price was paid... God's presence was able to be in the heart of every believer through the Holy Spirit. Again, the Roman officer, by this declaration, this man truly was the Son of God. Right? He lead, leads the way and even shows us right, of how we can accept Christ as our Savior today. By that same declaration. Like later in Scripture, in the book of Romans, Paul writes and he explains very clearly right, what it means to accept Christ as your Savior, to receive the gift of salvation by God's grace through faith. In fact, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Again, my question to you this morning right, is what is your reaction to Jesus? Are you ready to make that decision, to make that claim, right? To, to say, yes, God, I believe in you. I believe in the power of the resurrection. I believe in Jesus, right? And, and that he died for me and that he rose again through the resurrection. And I, I believe that in my heart and I want to declare that with my mouth to restore my relationship with you, right? And to not just receive my salvation, right? Which you, you receive that, right? Because with your eternal relationship life, right, with God in heaven. But it's not just about that. It's, it's bigger than that. It's about your relationship with God. And that relationship starts at that moment you receive him. 
You invite him into your life, right? If you confess your sin, confess your belief, believe in your heart, and confess with your mouth. And in that moment, you receive the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, will now live in your heart. Right? That's how you join the journey of faith. Right? That's how you receive your salvation and, and that restored relationship with God. And yet, once you have restored that relationship with God, you'll have the Holy Spirit in your heart, which then starts you on a new journey. Right? And that's what the journey of faith is all about. Right? It starts with receiving Christ as your Savior, inviting him into your life for the first time. But then it continues from there, right? and you moving closer to Christ every day. Right? And saying, instead of having my back to, to God and moving away from him, I now turn around and now I start a new journey towards Christ. Right? And that's with, with every decision, with every thought, with every Bible study, with every time I worship, with every time I pray, right? that I, I receive God's spirit every day, right? and his, his transformation power takes over in my life. And that process is described in Romans 12, verse 2, where it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Right? And this, uh, this verse, again, is not written to an unbeliever. This verse is written to somebody who already believes. Right? This verse is written to say, now this is what your life looks like once you commit to following Jesus. Once you commit to walking with him right, and receive his love, his grace, his presence, your salvation, all of those things. And when now this is how you grow your relationship with God is to receive, not just receive his spirit, but let his spirit transform you. So I want to ask you this morning, what is the next step of your faith journey? Maybe it's to accept Christ as your savior for the very first time. That if you are here today, or even if you're watching online, and you've never received Christ your Savior, my hope is, is that today is the day of salvation. That you will surrender your heart and life and say, God, you are my authority, and I give that to you. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Again, you can do that you know, out loud and confess. You can pray that in your own heart and just and say, Lord, I, I believe in you. Please come to me, forgive me, and overwhelm me with your presence. Save me, Lord, and start this transformation process. Right? That's just with a simple prayer. Or maybe you have received Christ as your Savior, but yet you've been struggling with, is he really my authority? I, I believe in him, right? I've, even, I've received him before, but yet maybe I've, I've wandered away. Maybe I've, I've fallen into the trap of these other reactions. Right? Maybe I'm still scared. Right? Not a reverent fear, but a paralyzing fear. We, we've talked about that. We've seen that in the gospel, the difference. Right? A paralyzing fear right, holds us back, and yet a reverent fear of God pulls us deeper into who he is. Right? Maybe you're shocked. Maybe you have disbelief. Right? Maybe you're ready to surrender all over again and recommit and say, Lord, I want to grow. I want, I want my, my life, my faith to not just be about Easter morning, but I want to walk with you every day. And I want to be transformed by your spirit. Again, what is your reaction to Jesus today? What is the next step of your journey? Again, if you have received Christ as your savior, I just encourage you to dive in 
deeper into your faith and into this transformation journey. Right? Maybe that looks like coming to church more often. Maybe that means showing up to, to a journey class or to a small group or a Bible study. Maybe that means starting to read your Bible on a daily basis. Maybe that means praying every morning. Right? I, I don't know what that means for you. Every journey is different. But I challenge you this morning to take a step forward in your faith journey today. As we, as we conclude our service this morning, I just want to give you a chance to take that step, to make that commitment this morning before we leave. Hey, our worship team's going to come up. They're going to lead us in, in another song. And as they do that, you have the opportunity to respond. And it, you can respond in your seat as we sing. If you want to come forward to the altar and pray, you can come forward to the altar. You stand and kneel and pray by yourself. Nobody will bother you. If you want to talk with somebody or be prayed over, help receiving Christ your Savior, a question that wants to be answered, we have, we have pastors and leaders available back in the back. There's that cross at the back wall. You can go back there and talk with them, and they'll answer your questions. They'll pray with you, pray over you. David, just, I encourage you, though, to respond to God this morning. So here's your final thought. The final thought is this. No matter what initial reaction you have had to Jesus, because of the resurrection, you can be forgiven, saved, and start moving in a new direction. Are you ready to take the next step in your faith journey? I hope that you are. And if you are, we are here to walk with you as, as your church family, right, and to help you move forward in your faith. Lord God, we thank you and praise you today, God, for establishing your authority, Lord, your divine eternal authority as Messiah. Lord, by your death, by your resurrection. God, we thank you that you invite us, God, into a deep, loving relationship with you. God, you showed us what love was by, by sending your son, Lord, by dying, by resurrecting. And Lord, we can commit to that love every day. God, help us as we leave from here, God, that, that our faith would not be just about Sunday morning on Easter, but Lord, it would be a daily walk with you. And God, we pray. Lord, that you would guide our steps. Lord, with the power that raised you from the dead, may you release that power in our lives. God, as we live our faith every day. And Lord, by us living our faith and receiving your love and shining your light, Lord, may you draw others to you that don't have that same hope. Lord, use us for your glory. Lord, to build your kingdom this week as we live our faith and as we help others do the same. Lord, we praise you for the power of the resurrection. We praise you for saving us. We praise you for transforming us, God, and for using us for your glory. Lord, your presence goes with us as we go today. Lord, throughout this week, until we gather together again, Lord, we give you the glory. Lord, thank you. We praise you. In the holy, precious name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.